Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com, and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to linode.com changelog. They call me Chase Adams IO. I love building software, you know, and I'm happy to say that there's no better way than to power said software with Go. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today's episode is number 54. On the show today, we have myself, Eric. Uh, Brian is also here. Hello. And Carlicia. Hi there. And our special guest today uh, is an engineer for Walmart, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about distributed teamwork and some of the stuff that uh, they're doing with Go over at Walmart. Please welcome to the show, Chase Adams. Hey, thanks for having me. Hooray. So you've been a long time uh, listener and follower of GoTime. So we're really excited to actually get you on and, and talk about some of the stuff that you're working on. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I've been listening to the changelog for a long time, and uh, I always hoped that there would be a, a good podcast about Go. And once GoTime came out, you know, it was love at first <laughs> still sight. still hoping. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know where you're going, but I don't think that's true. I think there's a, a really good Go podcast out there. So um, why don't you give everybody kind of just a little bit of background, maybe about your history with Go and uh, what, you're, what you're doing at Walmart? Sure. Uh, so I build software in Go for the Edge Platform team at Walmart Labs. Uh, it was originally a company called Torbit, and it was acquired in 2012. I've only been with the team since uh, December of last year, um, but everyone still calls us the Torbit team regardless of the fact that we're supposed to be the edge platform team. Um, we do three main things for Walmart, which is we have our own reverse proxy, uh, which does the asset and page optimization. So, you know, all the front end optimization stuff. Um, we have a homegrown CDN and then we have a RUM system and all that stuff's written in Go. Yeah, I can get over the fact, I talked to, uh, to you about this a little bit at go for con I can get over the fact that you actually have your own homegrown CDN. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. Most of the, the people on the team have been working on the CDN uh, for a lot longer than I have. And uh, they've done a pretty good job. And as far as I know, it's it's pretty competitive and uh, it works really well. I'm going to go test it. I'm going to walmart.com right now. Hang on. <laughs> actually, no, I'll do it from the command line. Curl. Time. Curl. HTTPS, walmart.com. He's actually doing it too. <laughs> oh, I instantly get a 302. What's the curl command to follow the redirect? Uh, minus curl? L is the flag I think you want to use. Minus which? I? Uh, minus uppercase L. L. That's what I so said. while he's doing that, um, what's the, oh, dude, the size of the hell. team? And and. Was this written in a prior language or was it a new project from the ground up written in Go? So, uh, again, like since I'm newer to the team, I don't have as much history about uh, what was written in before the acquisition. But I do know that there was at a point in time, 
uh, around 2012, there was a, you know, a point where they were trying to decide whether or not to write the the reverse proxy in Node or in Go. And clearly they landed on Go. And as far as what I remembered, uh, my manager telling me it was around 0.8. Um, so it's been written in Go for a very long time. So they built built the whole company on Go as far as I know. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty neat thing to come into it for having started at 0.8 and you know, being now, I think we're, we're using 1.8, uh, to be able to see that much of a transition is pretty neat. So, um, well, let's talk about hiring. I, I know your team is small because we talked about this. Mm. And so, but I'm wondering, I always, every once in a while, I like to ask people how the hiring is for Go developers, how you approach it at your company or at, in your team, if you have difficulties. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I am the newest person to the team. And before that, I think uh, the newest person was a year old. Our team is is pretty small. There are uh, three full-time developers writing Go, and we have a guy who's uh, doing DevOps. And my manager is about 50-50 split, so our team's pretty small considering uh, the different things that we touch at Walmart. Um, so as far as hiring goes, you know, for me, one of the the interesting things was being able to be given a project to work on and uh, work on that project as if it were Greenfield and, and to think about um, a lot of the considerations for, you know, which features I should add or which features not to add because it might, uh, you know, move out my, my project's timeline for when I did do my interview. But um, our team, you know, is still pretty small and uh, headcounts, one of those things that's hard to come by at Walmart because there's so much to do. Uh, but hopefully as we grow, you know, we're going to have a lot more positions for people to be able to help out. Hmm. So wanted to start asking you about your stack as far as having distributed systems. Oh, that's a good question. And also, well, jumping ahead maybe, but also talking about distributed teams because I know you work remote and how that works. But one thing at a time, I guess. Show us your stack. Uh, yeah, uh, so I can't talk too much about the stack except to say that um, we have a lot of uh, executables, you know, running in different places, and and they're all all go. Um, for our stats, uh, you know, we're we're using Prometheus, uh, but other than that, like most everything's uh, sorry, and and NSQ as well. So those are kind of the two big things that I've spent time with uh, in our stack. But uh, you know, most everything is go and. It's spread out across the world, which is pretty neat since we support, um, you know, we support ASDA, Walmart Brazil, Walmart Canada, Sam's Club, uh, Walmart US, uh, Walmart Mexico. I can't, I don't know. There's so many different uh, properties that we support. Um, I recently learned that there is a, a big development developer team in Brazil. They actually have a dev team down there. I was pretty impressed. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing uh, how far reaching you know Walmart is. There, I've talked to people on Slack from the UK uh, and from Canada. I haven't talked to anyone from Brazil yet, but I know that team is uh, starting to 
transition to using uh, the edge platform tools that we have and you know it's it's pretty amazing how just how many people there are working on stuff for walmart and it's uh, it's different countries that we support are you using docker kubernetes anything like that nope uh so pretty much everything's either on uh, bare metal or nvms and you know since it's it's a statically built binary we don't have to really worry about too much other than that yeah go so no no docker and and it's since it scales as well as it does uh we're not having to spin up a lot of uh, a lot of new instances of our edge services that's really cool do you have uh, any secrets you can share about what kind of traffic you see through those edge services how many billions uh, of requests per hour or anything exciting like that it's a lot it's a <laughs> um lot. That's an yeah. official number. It's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, I don't know that I can can grab any numbers uh, real quick, but I know it's enough that you know it keeps me here nice. and keeps me happy, uh, which is really one of the coolest things about being at Walmart is you know we're working at a, a pretty big scale with Go and and doing it in a way that our team's able to stay small and lean and uh, still support Walmart without having stuff go down, which is pretty great. That is super cool. So. Is the team mostly distributed? Our team is fully distributed. Uh, fully so distributed. Now that's a big difference. So how does what what are the dynamics like on a fully distributed team with Go? How does that change things for you? I, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I've been fully distributed myself for uh, my two year anniversary at Walmart was uh, middle of July this year. Uh, so I've been working on distributed teams not for a very long time, considering. You know, there are some people who have been working on on them for over a decade. But um, one of the the interesting things I think is, you know, you have a couple of offices, and then you have people who are spread out, and then just uh, making sure that communication is clear and concise, and that everyone is on the same page about you know what we're wanting to do and um, how to move forward. And I I think for our team, we do a pretty good job of being clear about, you know, what our roadmap should look like for the quarter. And, you know, if you hit, hit bumps, I think one of the hardest things for any distributed team is if you're spanning across time zones and even, you know, different people kind of pick different hours to work. Uh, if you have a, a question or something you bump into that, that is kind of a blocker, you know, finding the time to not necessarily disturb that person, but still be able to, to, you know, get some help uh, mm -hmm. in a, a quick fashion. What tools do you use for distributed communication? Are you uh, deeply in Slack or email or some other thing? Yeah, so Slack Slack is probably one of the heavier tools that we use for communication. Since we're writing code, uh, GitHub is a pretty, you know, it's a pretty significant place where we spend uh, communicating. And I think GitHub or the GitHub Enterprise that we're using now uh, has a lot of the newer features for reviews and doing approvals. And just being able to give feedback, written feedback, I think is probably one of the hardest things that I've had to to kind of get my head around uh, to do it in such a way that always comes across as being gracious. Because even, you know, sometimes even if you you say something and your intent is meant to be, um, you know, more exploratory and and not necessarily uh, you know trying to ask somebody like why are you doing it this way 
uh, you have to be really careful with written communication, especially if you you only see each other, you know, once a quarter or so, you know, to make sure that you're you're communicating in a way that that people you can be positive about the the way forward with you know whatever it is you're talking about. So have you found ways to do it better than you normally would if you weren't making an effort? Yes, for me, I usually ask other people uh, before I make a, you know, I'll make a comment on something, especially if I think that it might potentially come across uh, in a bad way. I think just talking to someone who uh, has context around, you know, what you're talking about, but isn't the person that you're addressing immediately, they're able to to look at it from a different way than you are, you know, as the person who um, has written the code a lot more easily and you know, give you feedback and say like, well, you know, you could probably tighten this up or even say this thing a little different. Um, before joining this team, I I worked pretty heavily on CI/CD, and uh, I had my manager. A lot of times, I would I would talk to him about it, and we had a really good relationship to where I felt like I could be open with him about, you know, if I was saying something that might not come across right, or uh, you know, bounce bounce those kind of things back and forth. And I think that was that was that's always been really helpful on both of the teams that I've been on at Walmart. So let's talk a little bit about um, Go at. Walmart is it pretty much isolated to your current team, or do you know of other teams within Walmart and Walmart Labs that are at least experimenting with Go or have it in production already? Right now, my team is the only team that I'm aware of that has Go in production. We all love Go, so we're encouraging other people to use it for things that uh, might fit their use case. And uh, anytime we're in an office, uh, we try and do you know, some kind of introduction to Go, just so people can can kind of get a taste for it. Uh, and, we, and we've done things like spin up Slack channel to, to encourage people to ask questions or, uh, you know, we'll post new things that we're finding, uh, you know, blog posts or um, if there's a new project that might help. And I think that's been pretty neat that there are other teams who are interested in writing Go. And I know there are people who are using it for uh, some tooling that they, you know, that they're using for development. Um, I know for me, like, again, before I joined this team working on CICD, uh, I owned a Jenkins instance that had uh, 60 agents, you know, 60 different nodes. And we had to share those nodes for a, a pretty tremendous amount of the customer experience team, which is the, uh, the team that uses Node.js pretty heavily uh, to run integration tests. And uh, we wanted to be able to use those nodes when, you know, at nighttime when they weren't being used as much. And I built a tool uh, with one of my coworkers that would transition those, those agents between two different Jenkins instances. And then, uh, you know, Jenkins is, can be kind of unstable when you're running 60 different slave agents. Um, so we had a, a staging Jenkins so that if it ever went down, uh, you know, it wouldn't mess up anyone with prod. But we built a tool in, in Go that would basically switch those, those agents in and out based on capacity, uh, just, you know, because neither of us wrote Java, neither of us cared to write Java. Uh, and it was, you know, a really easy thing to do. And, and just building those kind of tools at, at Walmart and really any company, I think, is a great way to, to show that it's a, you know, it's a great language for solving problems. And your first taste is free. That's right. Always free. That's really cool. I think internal evangelism is easier than external evangelism. When you can show the awesome ROI on a project and, and other people want to look as cool as you. 
it's easier to sell something like that. I think that I think that's true, and I think the other big piece of it for me coming into to go was just being able to see someone use the you know the go tools that are you know first class citizens to go that you don't get with other languages uh, just to see how easy it is to write go and to make sure that your go is you know gonna work uh, you know having written a lot of node j s previously uh, setting up testing for for javascript's a nightmare and you know when you can show those kind of things to people just how easy it is to to set up projects and and how go the language you know made the developer a an important part of the story to me that's a a really convincing thing to be able to show to developers and if developers can can be productive and be happy uh, you know everyone else can is going to be happy too we should put a sign over the stove in the kitchen if developers happy everybody's happy that's right. So you've mentioned uh, CI and CD several times. Uh, is this a, a passion of yours or is that something that you enjoy doing consistently? Yeah, I love CI, CD. Uh, I think it, it, so kind of my story at Walmart, I joined to work on React components because, you know, when you think about Walmart and having uh, apps, these separate apps that need to consume um, the same similar data and, and be able to uh, not have so much code that's just copy pasta. Um, you know, that, that was a, a really big selling point. And if, if you look at Walmart's open source stuff for, you know, the React world, they're working on things like Electrode, um, which is a kind of what spun out of, of what I started to work on. But w when I joined this team, you know, we didn't have any tests. Uh, There's a huge drift across uh, all of the developer tools that we were using. So, you know, Webpack was at different versions. Um, ESLint, if it was even there, was at different versions. So when I came in, even though I was going to work on React components, uh, I wanted to tighten up that story of, you know, making sure that our code, especially if tons of people are going to be using and contributing to it, uh, making sure that we keep it clean and making sure that we have ways to be able to see if that code is is working and then you know how much the the test coverage is changing. So uh, it, it kind of started out that way where I, I just wanted to make thing, everything a little bit nicer. And I ended up owning a Jenkins instance uh, around October of 2015. And in December, uh, we decided, or they spun up a new org and asked if I was interested in CI/CD and and you know starting up getting these electrode components to where everything was you know just flowing really nicely and then getting the apps out the door um, and I was like yeah I mean that to me is like if you can make it so that your you know your code is mostly something that you feel like you can have some kind of assurance about and be able to get it from the developer to production in a way that's not too convoluted, uh, you know, those kind of things for me, uh, yeah, they just make me so excited. And I think it, it really comes out of the, that thing I was talking about earlier, which is that if you can make developers happy, you know, they'll, they'll deal with other things a lot, you know, a lot better. You know, you're going to have politics wherever you work. Uh, you're going to have some crappy things wherever you work. And if you have really good things and if you're not having to deal with with bureaucracy or even if you you know don't even know if your app's going to work when you push it out production like those are bad things so 
you know, making it so that your code is stable and making it so that there's good tooling around that so that people uh, can run tests locally and then run it in CI and then deploy to, to prod, you know, reducing the friction on that to me is just, I think it's one of the most important things that, that any organization should be thinking about. Yeah, for me, CI is all about sleep. I wanted to clarify that CI is continuous integration and CD is continued development. Continuous delivery. Continuous delivery. Yeah, the D is is interchangeable for some people. Uh, it's delivery or deployment. I, I I think delivery is the best word to use. Um, there there's also some like contention about you know what what delivery is and what deployment is. But yeah, for the most part, it's, it's that idea of um, CI is just making sure that you know your code is in a good state to when you merge it into master. You're not going to have to worry about if someone pulls down master to run it that it's going to fail. Uh, or master, you know, mainline, whatever you call your branch that's stable. And then the CD is just, you know, being able to deploy it from environment to environment uh, in such a way that if, you know, all the integration tests pass or all the tests, all the different, uh, what we call gates work, then, you know, your code is going to be able to go to production without a lot of, a lot of extra finagling of environments. Mm -hmm. Is there anything about Go? I mean, since you're into this, I'm sure you've done it in other in environments other than with Go. Uh, is there anything about Go that makes CI especially easier or more difficult or any aspect of the CI CD process? For CI, I think just Go existing in the first place uh, because Docker you know, came out of Go and Docker to me has kind of revolutionized CI. Um, just that alone is is probably one of the best things that come out of of Go with CI, because uh, you can imagine, you know, if you have a place like Walmart where everyone has their own little snowflake that's going to run in CI, um, you know, you have to have an environment that matches what's expected, and that either means that you have to plan for all contingencies on on every node that you're going to potentially run that job on, and with Jenkins, who knows what that could be. Um, or you're using something like Docker where everything's kind of been laid out and defined for what the application should have. And, you know, then you just run Docker on with that container. And, uh, you know, if you're using something like Drone or, or Travis, you know, it makes it really trivial. So how does your uh, CD pipeline work at Walmart? Do you have continuous delivery for a lot of components? So for the electrode lane, which was the React stuff, um, that is that is the case for us. We're still my team. We're still kind of working it out because we do uh, have some constraints that I think those you know just spinning up an app and and sending it out to the world don't necessarily have. But for us, most of of what we're doing is we're just leveraging uh, you know our configuration management tool uh, to get it from point A to point B. I don't know if that answers that question. I don't either. I think yeah. you dodged so, the question. I think probably. So we're we're still working on our CD story for my team. Um, I you know I, I spent a whole year working on CI/CD for the React components and the React uh, applications. So uh, spending a whole year and being fully uh, you know dedicated to that project, we're we definitely got CI/CD going for that group, uh, and that's you know that's a pretty large team of. I don't know, somewhere close to like 500 developers, I think, that's working on the React components as well as building applications for, uh, you know, Walmart.com. 
but for us, you know, we're, we're still, we're still trying to figure out that story. Um, and it, it is hard because we are trying to build our product and then also trying to, uh, you know, figure out our CI CD story at the same time with a small, small group of people. Changing the wheels on the bus while it's moving fast. Yeah. I like to use the, uh, I don't know if you remember that commercial, but it was like, we like to build airplanes in the air. It's that, that same thing. Uh, <laughs> I haven't I, seen I that one. No, but I've had that job before, so I, I empathize. Yeah. I don't know why I just thought of this. Um, but do you guys remember the, uh, there was the commercial with Jean-Claude Van Damme and he was doing the split across the two semis. And then there was like the parody that came out and it was Chuck Norris doing the split across two planes. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but it sounds. I familiar. have no idea why that just popped in my head, but that's that's where it went. <laughs> yeah, but very very on topic. Thank you, Eric, for that. I think airplanes make me uh, think of that that commercial as well because that was you don't expect it, you don't see it coming because it's just Chuck Norris's face, right? And then it zooms out, and then you see the airplanes on either side, and he's doing a split over it. Now we're gonna have to link those in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, it's I haven't have seen it, so yeah. need to see it. So one of the things that uh, we talked about earlier when we were planning this show is mentoring, which is something that uh, Eric and I have been talking about quite a bit lately. You you mentioned that you wanted to talk about mentoring. What what are your thoughts on being a mentor or or being mentored? Have you had some good mentors in your past that have really changed your life? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think my thought on it is just everyone should be a mentor and everyone should have a mentor. Uh, there's, there's just no, no reason not to. Um, and part of that comes from, uh, I used to work at Zappos and this was, feels like a lifetime ago now. Um, I, I think it's probably only four, four years, three years ago, who knows? Uh, but one of the things that I was really interested in when I was at Zappos was, uh, making sure that everyone had the opportunity to, to grow in the places that they felt like they needed growth. And if you're in a position where, you know, you work with people and you're surrounded by people who are uh, doing the things that you can grow in, then, you know, you should, you should take those opportunities uh, if, it, if it's something that you feel compelled about. You, you know, it's, it's so easy to be in a situation where you may not have anybody and you're just getting started, uh, you know, programming. This is, this is not, you know, people who are, who've been doing it for a long time. This is, uh, from, for me personally, uh, I started out programming because, you know, my family business needed a website and I was writing shotgun, uh, doing building material deliveries, uh, reading about, you know, HTML and CSS. And this is a long time ago, but, uh, you know, I didn't have people around me. I lived in the middle of nowhere in Georgia and, uh, you know, no one really knew how to, for the most part, knew how computers worked there. So I had to spend a lot of this time figuring things out on my own. And and the internet was still kind of, Twitter was still kind of like finding its feet. And, you know, there wasn't an opportunity to find people in communities that you, you know, there there was no Go community when I first started programming. And even then, like, there really wasn't a big group of people that were doing front-end things. Like WordPress was kind of the thing at the time. but um, you know, you had to learn all those things through the internet if you didn't have somebody around. And uh, I think we're in a time now where, you know, I, I work with 
one of my friends who just graduated from uh, Nashville, Nashville Software School. Uh, we try to get together every two weeks and, you know, he, write, he went there for JavaScript, so we'll work on some JavaScript stuff. But, uh, you know, just having that opportunity for him to learn from someone who's seen things go bad, seen things go sideways, like been able to experience, you know, what it's like working on, you know, enterprise level software or whatever software you're working on. You know, if you're available to people and those people are interested, like that to me is kind of the sweet spot. And if you're always learning, you can always be teaching. There's a there's a quote that always comes to mind when I talk about mentorship. And I sent out a Senate in a tweet the other day, uh, but it's actually by the actor Kevin Spacey. And he says, uh, I feel it's a responsibility for anyone who breaks through a certain ceiling to send the elevator back down and give others a helpful lift. I think that always like resonated with me, you know, yeah, everybody kind of climbs through the ranks and, and, you know, you, we're so focused on like where we've drawn the line for ourselves, like where we want to hit for personal growth through knowledge or, or career growth. And we often forget like how far we've come and that we have value that we can add to other people. Absolutely. I love that quote too, by the way. So how would you define mentorship? Like, what, what, what do you think makes a good mentor versus, you know, um, an acquaintance that you occasionally ask advice of? I, I do think a big part of it is intentionality. Uh, and, and I think you kind of you answered it for me, what I think the differences are. Uh, if it's just an acquaintance that you're asking questions of, it's just, it's kind of like going to Stack Overflow when you have a question about jQuery, you know, and, and you copy pasta and you move on with your day. Uh, I, I don't think it's, it's a great pattern to fall into because you're not, you know, you're not asking the questions. And a big part of uh, being a mentor is teaching people how to intentionally ask the right questions. Um, and I also think it's, it's just being intentional about being there as well. You know, uh, I have, I have a few people that I try to to get together with every week that I consider mentors in in different realms of life, you know. And I think that's one thing a lot of people are afraid of is like, you know, I don't want to I don't want to ask someone so to be my mentor. And I I don't think you have to do that. I think there are people who are where you want to be in life. And uh, from the apprenticeship side or the apprentice side of it, uh, you know, you you pick and say like these are the things that I need to grow in. So maybe documentation is one thing. Maybe Maybe, you know, just learning Go in general is, is something you want to learn uh, or learn to be better at. Um, being able to find those people is, is a lot more trivial today than, than it used to be. And uh, especially, you know, if you join Go for Slack, if you if you want to learn Go and you've never done anything with it, like I, I think everyone encourages people after you've done, you know, looked at the uh, tour of Go and then you've looked through this, the spec, like, you know, and the source go, go to this, go for Slack and you can find people there talking about things and you can at the very least determine like, so, you know, this person knows more about this thing than I do. And I'm going to figure out a way to, to try and see if I can build that relationship with them to, to learn from them. And hopefully that mentorship goes both ways. Maybe they have something they need to learn. And like, you know, together, if you're working on that, in a set interval, you know, maybe that's like every week or every two weeks. Um, I think that's, that's the right way to, to go about it. Well, I think um, there's also a degree of, so that's hitting kind of on like the technical 
mentorship side where you're you're trying to evolve somebody. But I think there's also value in the career and personal growth, right? Because we've all we've all kind of tread the path before uh, people coming onto the scene now. So there's there's a lot that go, that we've learned even outside of just our our technical chops um, about our careers and and how to grow within them and you know, maybe transition to another role or, or into leadership or things like that. And even personal, like a common thing, like I know I talk to people who have been in the industry for just a couple of years, um, struggle with the burnout that almost all of us have gone through at one time or another. So I think there's a degree of being around um, to discuss those things too and, and to remind people that are just... Um, experiencing these types of things for the first time that it's normal that that you know everybody goes through it i never get burnout <laughs> of course not <laughs> <laughs> at least not on days that end in q and and for all of the proof that he's lying i will i will show some slack messages in our show notes <laughs> <laughs> don't do it because <laughs> i have slack messages too <laughs> that boat goes in two directions. We we've got dirt. <laughs> have dirt. No, I get burnt out constantly. I keep and it's my own fault because I I push so hard on something that I'm so passionate about and then I realize that I've completely buried myself and then I have to stop and that's really hard. Taking a break, you know, backing down is not easy. Is that because you have too much empathy? I don't know if it's all empathy sometimes it is especially when it's product related and i want to fix things but i just my my tech passions burn hot and they burn quick i get really excited about doing a thing and then i work too hard on it and realize that i've let everything else go so then i have to do all of that and now i'm behind on everything and i need to be paced better i need a pacer you need a pacer I think that there's a, a degree of it, though, that, you know, like I'm similar in, in the respect that I often put more pressure on myself than my team or or employer does um, because I want to get stuff done and I want to meet deadlines, even if they're artificial deadlines. I, I feel kind of this need to to hit them. But I think the empathy comes in like the whole thing gets exacerbated by the fact that when other people are counting on you, you know, they need you to succeed or, you know, in the work sense, they, they need stuff that you're working on first in order for them to do their jobs. And you feel like you're holding other people up. And I think that that's kind of where the empathy kicks in. And you're just like, you know, it, it's, it's my fault. You know, now they're going to be stressed because they're behind. So I, I got to get this done. And really you're, you're putting artificial stress on yourself because oftentimes deadlines can be pushed. And then you have empathy for your users. So you want to do a good job. You know what I mean? You don't want to del just right. deliver anything sloppy work. I think, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you. No, it's the same. <laughs> I agree. There's just lots of stresses, lots of things that push us to work too hard. So is anybody here actively mentoring people? I am not actively mentoring anybody, but people do ask me for advice on how to get a job, how to get it start, started working with Go every once in a while. And I do take the time to hop on a quick video call and give advice. Um, I have opened myself up to take on uh, a woman of color 
to somebody who wants to learn Go only because I don't think there is any at all. Yeah, I don't like to help with that. Uh, so I'm being selective. Uh, I don't have a lot of time, but I will make extra time for that. I'll, I'll, I'll make an effort, extra effort, I guess. Otherwise, I think um, we have been sort of successful at being attractive to women in general. We have women, the Women Who Go group, and men definitely, we see you know, people joining from all fronts, uh, joining the community. So yeah, that's all that I've been doing. I'm kind of the kind of the same. I have a lot of ad hoc um, mentoring going on. At, at least two or four people a day on Slack and Twitter asking for various career advice or or something similar to that. But it's all ad hoc. Nothing assigned. I think that's mostly been um, my interaction to. Um, and I, I kind of sent out a tweet over the weekend kind of soliciting for mentees um, just because I, I'd like to play a more active role than just like the occasional question that comes my way. Especially, I don't think that I, I get career-based questions or or kind of personal questions or things like that. It's usually technical, like I'm running into this thing, you know, any ideas. And I think it's important for the career aspect. So and I think I kind of like the idea of of watching somebody grow too and checking in on them, you know, knowing that these these couple of people you're you're interacting with, knowing what their goals are and and whether they're on course or falling behind and and trying to offer advice along the way. Um, you know, not that there's not value in in being available to answer the ad hoc technical question. See, I don't get ad hoc technical questions, though. Nobody asks me about technical things. I think it's the gray hair. I get all ad hoc, you know, personal growth, development, employment stuff. They're asking you the technical questions. I get the, you know, how do I advance my career questions? It's because I'm really old and you guys are young. <laughs> how about you, Chase? Yeah, so. Oh, you said you're mentoring someone in mostly in JavaScript. Yeah, so I have three to four people. Uh, so I, and I say three to four because there's, there's one that is kind of, it's a little more ad hoc, but I do have three people that at the beginning of the year, you know, I decided that I wanted to invest time with them. And part of that was, uh, every year, the past couple of years, I pick a couple of themes for, you know, what that year is going to look like. And this year I picked miracle grow. And a, a part of that was to, you know, take kind of similar to what Eric had said, which is. You know, I started out doing deliveries for building materials and and now I'm a, you know, I'm a software engineer at a, a large, well-known company uh, and I didn't just get here and I didn't just get here because, or I didn't get here because I'm that good. Uh, I got here because people invested in me and uh, I learned how to ask the right questions to, even if I, if I didn't have a, an official mentor, be able to ask the right questions to grow myself. Um, so for me, I wanted to be able to invest in people in that way. And I'm hoping to carry that over next year as well, uh, to pick up a few more people, uh, having, you know, a, a brand new baby in the house has made it a little bit harder to invest in, in anyone else except for her, which I'm totally, I, I couldn't be happier, uh, you know, to be spending most of my time with her. But, um, I, I do think 
if you, if people choose to be mentors, I think it's important to be intentional about it and to carve out that time. And, you know, it, I have one, definitely one guy that I'm mentoring for JavaScript, but they're, the other two people are, are a lot more, those relationships are a lot more about their technical, not their technical growth, but like, uh, you know, their growth at, at where they're working. And at the end of the day, you know, we, I try to write as much code as I can and I try to to get into the code. But the reality is, is when you work somewhere like Walmart or Zappos or, you know, any company where, you know, it's, it's large enough that, that you're not just able to, to churn out code because there's all this greenfield stuff. You are spending a lot of time in meetings or, you know, doing things that aren't necessarily writing code. And those are important things to, to help people learn how to navigate and how to do right because, you know, a lot of times promotions and uh, even like, you know, being able to be effective, those things rely on you being able to be uh, productive outside of just writing code. Now, here's the that question kind of flipped around a little bit. Who's had a really good mentor that, that changed their life? I'll go first if you want. I had uh, a manager named Jim Young 10 years ago. And to this day, I still call him and get amazing life advice. And during the time where we worked together, uh, he was so much more than a manager for me. And it was just absolutely amazing how he helped me steer my my career and my life in a better direction. So um, I think through my career, I've had a lot of really good managers, um, whether I consider them mentors, I think um, is a little harder to to determine. But I would probably say that Brian is actually the person who's mentored me the most. Oh. And it's it's interesting because only when I think about like who's mentored me, does that come to mind? Because it's really kind of been a friendship and discussions we have and things like that, that it doesn't feel like a mentorship. Those are the best kind. Yeah, I haven't had any sort of mentorship. Uh, my current manager is really good as far as uh, keeping me on track with my work in general. And I have approached someone at work to mentor me uh, technically. And that did not pan out. So I'm planning on approaching somebody else. And I think having someone from work would be easier because there's no problem about sharing what I'm doing uh, no, as far as uh, intellectual property. So I'm very much like to have a, a more senior developer, goal developer, mentor me at work. So, but I don't, I don't have that. How about you, Chase? Yeah, I like to call out three if that's okay. I know it's three more, two more than everyone else said. Uh, so, my first one would definitely be my dad. Again, it was never an official mentorship because you know, he's my dad. Um, but you know, he in, invested in my growth as a person, especially like, you know, in my, my early twenties, um, there were a lot of times when, you know, I would come across, you know, situations that I didn't know how to handle and uh, just being able to, to talk to him and have him, you know, walk me through some of the ways that he thinks about things or, uh, even, you know, kind of the best thing is, is to say he would, you know, ask me what I think about certain parts of it and of a problem I went through. Um, and again, like that was a, a big 
thing. And my dad was my boss when I first started working, you know, and, and having to not work for him, being able to like tell your, your dad, Hey, I'm not going to be able to work here anymore. I'll go work somewhere else is, is pretty hard, especially if you have a good relationship with your dad. Uh, but you know, ever, ever since then, even, you know, he's invested in trying to help me to, to grow. And, and it was even to the point to where he, he would give me books to read and, and ask me if I want to talk about them. And we would talk about books. Um, the second one that I want to call out is my previous manager. His name is Dave Cadwallader. Uh, he was at Walmart. He's at a place called DNA Nexus now. Um, but he was one of those people who, he, he was my manager, but like more than anything, he helped me think through how to do things the right way and how to say things the right way. Uh, there was a point in time at Walmart where a lot of people were afraid that like remote positions were going to get nixed altogether. And uh, I wanted to ask the question of like, why, you know, to, to me, I'm just like, why are we doing this? And, you know, he, he made me stop and ask the right questions of, you know, what is it that I really want to get out of asking the question of, of remote workers? Is it that I want to like fume at somebody or is it that I want it to be resolved to where it's okay for people to not be in an office? Um, and he, you know, he's helped me through a lot of those, uh, what Eric said, like those politically tricky questions, uh, okay. that can, can easily, you know, you, probably your entire career could go out in flames. Um, you know, if you, if you ask the wrong way, you know, being able to, to talk me through how to ask those both in a way that, um, is clear and concise and in a way that, that doesn't come across as, uh, you know, trying to get, uh, I don't know, to be effective with your questions and to be effective of, of the way you're thinking about things. And then my third one, uh, there's a guy, I've tweeted about him a few times and even uh, I, my getting started with the Emacs article uh, points to him, but his name's Shane Hansen. And uh, he's on my team currently. And I don't know that he would say he was my mentor, uh, but he has helped me grow in, in Go and in thinking about architecture uh, and thinking about how to solve problems in ways that like in my, probably my whole experience of being a developer, I, I haven't had anyone help me accelerate that quickly, um, into, to learning things. So those, those would be my three. Nice. So here's a question for anybody, uh, listening for the answer. Is anybody here actively seeking mentees? Is anybody here willing to take on, uh, new people to mentor? I would love to. I don't have a lot of time to take on somebody on a formal and consistent basis. And I'm making an exception for a woman of color. If somebody knows someone like that, I would take that on. But um, I don't have a lot of time. I, I'm already pretty, pretty pressed for time. I think that, um, yeah, I, I guess there, there was a, a distinction to be made too, right? Like, I don't have a lot of time. So I don't know whether, how much I'd be able to help, um, say, teach somebody the language outside of answering particular questions or pointing people in, in the right direction. I'm not sure I have enough spare time to, you know, spend several hours a day or week, you know, basically training somebody in a language. But I think that I can always make time to offer advice from a career perspective or you know, I, here's the types of things I want to build. What should I learn? You know, those types of questions, I think, are easy enough. But the 
individual one-on-one several hours of, you know, let's walk through some, your code and, you know, I'll teach you how to write better code. I think, um, is harder when you, you have a much busier schedule. Yeah, that's harder because it also requires for you to understand the domain, which if someone, if it's someone starting to learn, that's probably going to be simple enough, but it still requires a little bit of effort. The best thing I think, and um, this is not final, I would like uh, to hear from Brian and Chase as well, but in my opinion, one of the best things that people can do is definitely join group chats, uh, like uh, the... Uh, new newbies, what is it called? The newbies channel that we have, Golang newbies channel on Gopher Slack or the women who go Slack. There is a GoBridge channel also on Gopher Slack. Because people are just because there will be people available when you are asking, when you want to ask a question. And reserve uh, bringing pe- people to for questions that you're not comfortable asking publicly. And I, just like Eric, me too, I'm, I'm available for one-offs that I can say, hey, you know, let's do it two days from now, but nothing that I can commit to on a consistent basis. Yeah, that's probably an important part of the mentor discussion is determining what things are, are actively mentoring and what things are just you know, I, I'm too lazy to go to Stack Overflow. And the difference between them is, I think, in a mentor relationship, you have you have that um, that dedicated channel back and forth to answer hard questions. But if if someone is taking advantage of that to ask not so hard questions or questions that they haven't um, explored other opportunities with, then they're kind of putting a burden on that mentor relationship. Yeah, and I think, you know, you should be looking for kind of hooks, you know. Um, I don't know where to start, point me towards something. But I think that the personal one-on-one is valuable in the vulnerable conditions, right? Like, um, you know, for example, some of some of the conversations Brian and I have, you know, like I can come to him and express insecurity in something. Uh, whether it be, you know, should I submit a talk somewhere or, you know, sh- should I, you know, go for some job or or something like that? And we can kind of talk in a vulnerable state and both kind of um, have confidence in each other and, and share stories that you don't you don't really want to share in public channels. And oftentimes that can be, you know, enough to give people kind of the confidence to continue what they're doing or ask for a raise or or anything of that nature. Those aren't the types of things that you just drop in, uh, you know, a public chat forum. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, where do we start is a great question for a public chat, unless you're currently employed and you want to keep your search private. So definitely being somebody privately. And um, sometimes getting feedback on, for example, my resume, just like, tell me kindly how my resume sucks. That's something a one-on-one would be helpful and hopefully pleasant. So I'm asking that question too, because I know my resume sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I can help you with your resume, Eric. I usually just throw stuff in there. It's like, yep, I need to add a, a line item for this job. And here's kind of what I did. Done. You don't need a resume anymore. See, so I kind of hate that. 
because like we all talk about imposter syndrome regularly, right? So when you kind of get like the like a walk-on job, right? We're like, you're you and we want you. And if you want the job, you're hired type thing. Like that really uh, makes imposter syndrome worse too, because you spend a long time uh, concerned, like, do you know all of the things that they think you know, why they just offered you the job, right? And it takes you a long while to kind of figure out what their expectations are versus your skill set. Whereas if if you're in a formal interview and you don't know things, you know that they know you don't know it. And you, you feel comfortable in that. Like, oh, okay, then I guess it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't know. I think the resume is just a tool for people getting to know you. And they can, even with the resume, they can extrapolate and think that you know more than you know or no, think that you know less than you know. And an interview is the point where they take that knowledge, whether it came from a resume or we came from them knowing you from whatever, wherever, and having that conversation. So let's talk about what you really know, how you really fit in, and uh, what you don't know, and how that, if you're comfortable with that. So I don't see the problem that you see. When if somebody invites you to have a for an interview and not ask you for your resume, uh, and so yeah, so inviting you for the interview without a resume, like I think that's okay. What I'm talking about is like a walk-on job where it's basically like some company loves who you are. They're like Carlicia, we listen to the podcast all the time. We love you. We want you to come work for us. Just say yes. And there's like well, no, there's there's no <laughs> formal just interview. Say yes. <laughs> Well, but you do want to have an interview because you want to interview them at the very least, right? Mm. Unless you also know them. In that case, their their assessment's probably accurate. If you if there is mutual knowledge about both sides, you know what both sides do and etc. Otherwise, I don't know. I would cap- if you said, yeah, so sure, it's a great job. I'll just take it without some sort of sit down and let's talk about it. That'd be odd. I think I'm in this, a similar mindset as Carlicia is that like, even if you don't have to do an interview uh, and this is deviating a little bit, but uh, you know, there's, there's so much that you just don't know about the people that you're going to work with. And, and this is, I don't know. I never had this happen, but where someone says, okay, we want you like no interview, just, just sign on the dotted line. Uh, for me, I, I don't know. That would make me really nervous because it, even if it was, I don't know, a lot of money, like something that was just unfathomably better than what I have today. If I'm not going to be working with people that uh, I think I want to work with or that I think are going to, you know, be interested in helping me grow or even uh, my, I've always opted for a team that has a manager that I feel like is going to be a manager that I can trust. If you haven't had those conversations, then, you know, I don't know, a lot of those things, it doesn't matter what they, they throw at you that makes it a good offer you know, not knowing is, is a really scary situation to be in. Sometimes it works out in your benefit. I actually met Brian in that very way. (laughs) I I didn't know Brian at the time. This is before, you know, all the things go, we do. And, uh, he was my boss when we first met and, uh, my interview was him and the director of technology. They took me out to lunch and we had beers and he told me, why the company was so awesome and why I should come work for them. <laughs> and it worked out to my benefit because now we've been friends for ages. <laughs> that was a long time ago. 
It was. I'm, I'm feeling old thinking about it. I was I was young then. <sighs> you guys, you guys are so old. <laughs> Seriously. All right. So we're we're starting to run out of time. I think we need to get into some uh, Go News and Free Software Friday love. Definitely. So we could stay on track. I have the coolest Go News. You know, I love me some distributed tracing. And uh, Ricardo.ch, which is a Swiss company that got training from uh, Gopher Academy when Gopher Academy was doing training this year, they just released Go Tracing, which is a awesome uh, open tracing plugin for Go that drops your traces and spans directly to Zipkin. Oh, nice. And I saw it this morning, and the first thing I did was check it out and install it, and it is perfect. It's it's just what you need if you want distributed traces. So go get that. It's still missing a few pieces to the API that would make it perfect, but it's it's really nice. So go get some of that. That's at Ricardo, uh, github.com slash ricardo-ch slash go-tracing. Uh, another piece of a news is the Go19 uh, RC2 uh, just came out. Was it yesterday or the day before? Well, by the time most people hear this, it will have been a week ago. So that's true. That's a good question. I could I could go look at my uh, Go binary and see when it was installed because I think I installed it at least 30 seconds after it was released. You've got like a uh, bot that watches Twitter for the at Golang and whenever it mentions a, a release, it goes out and installs it for you? Pretty much. So my uh, binary date for my local Go binary is uh, August 7th at 1633 p.m. So I think it was this, the morning of the 7th that it was released. Okay. I was a little behind that day. So we talked a little bit about um, the new change to the um, GoTime website in the pre-show. So for the benefit of the listeners, do you want to talk about it, Brian? Because you're like super pumped about it. I do. It's so exciting. What kind of all we, we have uh, transcripts available on the GoTime website now. So if you go to an individual episode, you can see transcripts and they're generally accurate, if not completely accurate, but they're generally accurate. And they've got uh, the person's name who said the thing. And it's, it's really cool. And you can uh, submit fixes to them because all of the transcripts are open source and they're available on GitHub. So you can go right down to uh, the bottom of the page and just say, you know, I want to fix this transcript and it drops you into the GitHub repo and you can send a pull request. So I love the fact that we're making these um, uh, episodes text readable for people who can't hear them easily or even text searchable for Google searchability because Lord knows we need to have uh, physical evidence of some of the things I've said on this show. Now, now it's much easier to find than uh, having to listen through the audio. <laughs> yeah, just just search for Gator and BB gun. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah, thanks for busting me on that one, Eric. It's okay. PETA is knocking at my door right now. So do so we have, have... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I had another project that I found that looks really cool. And it's by Alex Alexis, no, Alex Ellis, github.com slash Alex, E-L-L-I-S. And it's called F-A-A-S. And it is um, functions as a service, which is a cool framework that allows you to do serverless. And I, you can't see the air quotes, but they're there. 
uh, serverless on Docker or Kubernetes. And it's a really cool package. I like it quite a bit. And there was uh, somewhere in this document or somewhere in the GitHub repo, there was a link to a document that says basically, you know, why do I care about serverless? And it was the first time ever in my life where I said, holy cow, I understand serverless now. This is why this is important to me. So it was cool. And now I'm going to stop making fun of serverless other than, you know, the whole stupidest name in the world thing. But serverless sounds cool. Oh, now I have to read it because otherwise I'll be the only one making fun, still making fun of surveys. <laughs> we, you and I were in it together, Brian. I know we were. So you got to go read that so we can we can we can be together. You Good call. The, you went to the dark side. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it the dark side. I just I won't now make fun of won't, it anymore. And now I understand it. Now I, I understand why. Okay. Alex Ellis has done a lot of uh, really great tutorials on docker and raspberry pi so mm -hmm. if, if you're interested in either of those things together uh he's i think he's like the doctor cat or the docker captain who writes the most about about those things oh that's cool oh awesome yeah he set up like a swarm cluster with a bunch of uh, pi zeros i think i don't know i'd have to find it but that's pretty neat so did we have any other uh projects or news before we jump into free software friday no, let's go FSF. It's time. All right. Who wants to go first? I don't have anything because this week I felt like I had to go out and get a freaking education on gender studies and social studies. <laughs> don't ask me why. That's all I'm going to say. So it was exhausting. It, it's been an emotional week. I won't disagree yes. with that. Agreed. I feel like... To be a woman in tech or a minority in tech, you need a CS degree or some sort of CS training plus a degree in social sciences. Mm. Okay, so I have one for you. Carlicia uh, is shouting out to all the wonderful women in tech who persevere through a lot of crap that they shouldn't. How's that? Yes. yes That's, that's a good one. Nailed it. Yeah. Raising my fist in solidarity. Good job, Carlicia. I don't know if I did a good job. I'm just saying it's a lot. It is. We love you for it. We're sorry you have to go through it. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just a witness and it's a lot. And there's people who has actually been effective and that's just shitty. Anyway. All right. How about you, Brian? Uh, it's hard to follow that. But so on a much less serious note, um, I've been given a Mac for my new job at Microsoft again. So <laughs> back on using a Mac after I swore it off earlier this year. And I realized that iTerm2 is, is one of the nicest damn terminals on the planet. And I'd like to shout out to George Nachman and anybody else who's contributed to iTerm2 because it is a, it's probably the gold standard for terminals. That's a, it's a great terminal emulator. Yeah, I don't even know how long I've been using it for has to be 10 years now. Mm -hmm. Forever. Mm -hmm. I love the, so my, my absolute favorite feature is their TMUX control channel integration. Has anybody else used that? Uh, a long time ago. It is the best thing in the world. So if you, if you install TMUX on a target machine and then from uh, iTerm2, uh, SSH in and then type TMUX dash capital C C. I think they have to be two capitals. 
and it will turn a regular ugly tmux session into iterm tabs and windows so if you did something in tmux that would start a new window it opens up a new iterm window if you want to start a new tab in tmux it starts a new tab in iterm so it's just the most fantastic integration ever and i'm pretty sure iterm 2 is the only thing only terminal emulator that does that and it is so cool it's pretty slick yeah it really is it's it's amazing and i have i've looked for other terminal emulators that that offer something similar and I haven't found any yet. So kudos to them. Thanks, George and the iTerm2 team. I heart you. Did you have uh did you have a project or or contributor you wanted to give a shout out to, Chase? Oh man, this has been the hardest week because usually I'll I'll be like, oh, free software Friday, I'll just tweet about it. And knowing that I was gonna come on the show, I was like, oh man, I've got so many that I want to say something about. Uh so I, I ended up landing on one. But I'll tweet about the rest through the rest of the <laughs> next 24-hour period or whatever. Um, but the one that I want to give a shout-out to is GitLab. Nice. And uh, I don't know how many people use GitLab. Uh, I love I host everything there, and I just mirror it to GitHub. Uh, they have just, like, figured out this this software development cycle in such a, like, beautiful way. Uh, you know, it has baked-in CI/CD, um, And one of the, the really cool features that they came out with recently is review apps. So when you push a branch, uh, what GitLab will do is it'll spin up a new environment for you with your Docker file, uh, you know, for that particular branch. So you can go visit that branches, uh, you know, what that would be like if it were running, you know, locally or in production or whatever. Uh, so to be able to actually see your changes and, uh, you know, run things against it it to me is just like such a cool thing and again it's open source which i i just i love and it's such a just a great company nice how about you eric so mine for today is jesse frizzell she is amazing uh her knowledge of linux and, and containers particularly i don't think there's a container thing that you can touch that she wasn't somehow involved in <laughs> And then uh, recently this week, I think the project has been around for a little while, but um, this week I had seen a new project of hers that I had never seen before. And it's called Am I Contained? And you can run it and it will tell you what container runtime you're running in and like the capabilities, the, the Linux capabilities and stuff that are uh, available to you, which is ridiculously cool. And that is at github.com slash jessfraz slash am i contained awesome anybody have any others did you want to throw in more chase <laughs> you could take my uh, spot <laughs> he's looking at his list of 50 and he's like maybe why he thinks about it brian i don't find the link to the article about the serverless stuff you were mentioning uh oh all right i'll troll through my um browser history and i'll see what i can find okay yeah thanks all right but Chase, do you have anything else? Uh, yeah, so I'll do, I'll do two more. Uh, one is org mode, which for, for anyone who's not familiar with Emacs, Emacs is still pretty new to me. Um, I switched from them sometime like end of last year. Uh, but org mode is like basically like markdown on crack. And one of the really cool things that org mode does, I mean, it does a lot of cool things. It allows you to you know use it as a to-do, plain text files as to-do list and, you can use keyboard shortcuts to 
basically like update this um, these plain text files. But one of the things that I think is really cool about it is you can execute your code blocks from within org mode uh, when you're in Emacs. And uh, for someone who's like, you know, does a lot of DevOpsy type things, it's really nice to be able to you know, write your documentation in these org files the way you would in Markdown and to actually put your code in those code blocks and execute them when you need them rather than, you know, having your documentation separate from your code. So that's one. And then the other one I, is, is... I love oh. Markdown and Crack must be amazing, but you lost me at Emacs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a quote that says... Um, if you, it's something like if you want to find the truth, hold no opinions. And that's been a really hard one for me to to adapt because I was like very hardcore using them. And then like I've used code pretty heavily as well. Uh, but every time, like I just keep going back to Emacs now because it does so much that uh, none of my other editors did. But I, I understand it's it's one of those things that like if you can't get make yourself decide to like even look at it, it's one it's it is hard to look at it. But the other one is just the the three big editors for VS Code, Emacs, and Vim. The the three folks who are the main contributors to those packages for being able to write Go in those editors. I think it's like uh, Ramya and then Fatih and Dominic are the three. I think. Uh, and you know, I don't know. It's just you you don't think about like the fact you don't have to think about the tooling for writing Go in any of these editors, and it just works uh, once you you get the extension or uh, you know go mode installed it's just awesome so they should be able to just do that for i, I don't know skip, i guess some of them do get paid to do it but um well they, they could rami gets paid to do it but dominic right. and fatih both have set up ways that they can also accept cash fatih has a patreon and dominic i don't remember what the website is that he did but i think if you go to go go dash tools.org or go tools.org um, he's got a way that you can uh, support all of the tools he does because not only does he do the Go mode for uh, Emacs, but he's written so many countless dozens of uh, Go tools like Static Check and mm. and so many others. I mean, he's just prolific in the Go tooling. So uh, yeah, support those people where you can. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There's donut donate buttons, donut buttons on all of the. Uh... <laughs> Most of their readmes, or, I want or at least donut a donut button. I want a donut. <laughs> where where do you buy one of those? I don't know. Is that like one of those um, Amazon Dash buttons? If they had one for Dunkin' Donuts, I'd be in deep shit. <laughs> I don't remember last time I ate a donut. Frankly, hmm. I'm due for one. Anyway. So I think we're we're running a a bit over. So we should probably wrap up the show. And get into wait, the after show. Wait, we didn't talk to Elle. Bring bring forth the baby. We demand oh, baby time. I don't know if she went. I don't know. We heard her she playing may gone down just a little bit ago. Oh, did you? Oh, man. I yeah, got my noise canceling headphones on, so I, I wouldn't have heard her. Uh, oh, there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, do, you, parent, do, you really wanna, do you really want to hear from her? Because I can see of course it. We, I can, if right. she's awake, do, but never wake a sleeping baby. That's rule number one. Oh, yeah. I know that rule. <laughs> that's That's the if. Uh, baby's not happy, then nobody's happy. Exactly. All right, hold it. Keep talking. I'm going to see if I can get her in here real quick. Okay, we'll keep talking. I had so many other um, really cool Go projects. Let me pull up my bookmarks and 
it will remind me of all of the ones that I didn't put in for free software Friday. Cause there's some really good stuff come up recently. All right, here we go. So the go tracing one got me really excited. Oh, there's an org called go dash interpreter and they have an app or a, an interpreter now that they're building called wagon, which is a web assembly based go interpreter for go. And I got a little bit lost trying to understand what they were doing, but Hey, WebAssembly is hot and interpreting go was hot. So that's really cool. If, if uh, building interpreters and WebAssembly is your gig, go play with wagon. That one will be fun. Nice. You know, I, I saw WebAssembly come out and I was really excited by it, but I haven't had the chance to play with it for anything. That's because it doesn't support go yet. We need, we need deep, true Go support. And then it, then it will become important to me. Otherwise, it's just some stuff. It's all have, Go all the time. <laughs> have we talked about Matt Ryer's Vice project yet? Did we talk no, about that in the previous episode? No, I don't believe so. That's fairly new. That's, that's super cool, too. Yeah, that one I'm really excited to play with. So that's um, uh, Go channels that are backed by uh, message queues. So you treat them locally like Go channels, but... Uh, they're actually doing uh, network communications over message queues so that you can have the go channel semantics in a distributed environment. And that's super duper cool. All right. I couldn't get a hold of her mom. So she's probably gone down for her nap already, but I'll take it's a up. picture later. Post it. Okay. Post it in the go time channel. Perfect. We miss our, we haven't seen any Twitter pictures in a while. I think it's been at least two or three weeks since I've seen one. I post a lot on Instagram because that's where my mom is. And she's the only person that I absolutely feel like I have to satisfy with pictures since she's not, uh, you know, she doesn't live here. Understand. So, but yeah, I'll put them on Twitter. All right. So let's uh, bring this show to a close and we'll get into the <laughs> after show. So uh, definitely thank you, everybody, for being on. A huge thank you to Chase for coming on and talking to us today. It's uh, it's been it's been great actually getting you on the show. Yeah, I'm so th so glad to have finally done it, and uh, it was not nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. So thank you guys for having me. It's all fun. You'll have to post some reaction pictures of Elle when she hears you on the podcast for the first time. <laughs> I, she she might get a little confused. I'll have to get my wife to take take the picture because I don't know that I could sit in the same room with someone else and listen to myself talk. I don't know if you guys do that. I don't know how I get, how you do if you do. I've never listened to our podcast ever. So definitely share the show with uh, friends and colleagues. Um, if you want to subscribe, you can find us at gotime.fm. Uh, follow us on Twitter at gotime.fm. And uh, if you want to discuss the show, if you want to contribute now to the transcripts, um, we have GitHub accounts for that. So github.com slash gotimefm. And with that, goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. The phone rings. like Yeah, perfect, perfect time. timing. And then the phone rings. All right, that's it for this episode of GoTime. Tune in live on Thursdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us. In real time during the shows, head to changelog.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GoTimeFM. Special thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. Also, Linode, we host everything we do on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. GoTime is edited by Jonathan Youngblood, and the theme music for GoTime is produced by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.